So I want to uh, first thank Luke and Mario. I know Mario's not here, but thank them for giving me a chance to proclaim God's word to you all this afternoon. We'll, get, we'll be continuing our series through the Apostles' Creed. Uh, since some of you are new here or just haven't been in a while, and we started up a new series through the Apostles' Creed. We were in Philippians, finished up Philippians. Now we want to know what are the fundamentals of the faith. And I want to say is normally you will find us teaching expositionally. So that, what that means is going through the text, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, uh, through the books of the Bible, um, so that we can fully understand the full depth of God's Word. We want our church to reflect that in its preaching. Uh, however, there are times when we will be preaching uh, topically to enhance our body's understanding of a on a particular issue or a particular topic. And we're working through a series on the Apostles' Creed because we desire to understand this, the church uh, understand uh, how the church has consistently interpreted Scripture over time. Uh, and so uh, I've been tasked with the line in the Apostles' Creed, uh, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. Uh, so let's go ahead and explore. Uh, by this topic by focusing on Matthew 18 through 25. So please go ahead and follow along with me. Uh, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from the sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Go ahead. Let's go ahead and go to the Lord with prayer before we start. Lord God, we want to thank you for your word, because it's, it's your word that reveals to us what you have done for us, and this is your word that saves us. Your word is what encourages us in the faith. It's what shows that what you have done and causes us to worship you greatly. We're thankful for this word. We're thankful for what you have done for us by sending your son here to be incarnate, incarnated in this world, to become fully man, fully God, and to be born of a virgin. And these things we confess. We confess the, whole, uh, the Apostles' Creed because we know it to be true in your word. And we, we know it to be true in your word because you have said it so. And that it also proclaims your gospel. And so help us to see this. Help us to understand it in a deeper way. Uh, if any words that I say today is not right, 
it is contrary to what you have said in the scriptures. Please blot it out in people's minds. But what is said that is true, help it to fuel our understanding of the scriptures in a greater way. We thank you for your word today. In your name, amen. So it feels like a great, go ahead and, and sit down. <laughs> yeah, But it feels like a great injustice to the passage here to start at verse 18. I mean, that's starting right in the middle of the chapter. We're almost to chapter two, but we want to start a little bit further. I'm just going to give a brief explanation of what just what was Matthew talking about before verse 18? Because in verse 17, it's set up to act as a summary of what God has been doing throughout Old Testament history. Uh, if you don't already know, I have a background in theater. And so when writing a play, uh, you, want everything, uh, you want everything from the first point of conflict to rise and go forward into this ultimate climax. And that's what Matthew was bringing us to. He's showing there's a, a point of conflict here, but then also there's a rise that uh, is happening, and there's going to be a great climax that's going to take place. And we know what that climax is. It's Jesus' death, his resurrection, what he has done for us on that cross. But what has happened before then? There's a whole thousands of years of history that needs to be shown how God's plan of redemption has really started in Genesis. It started in Genesis with the fall of man, where he gave um, a prophecy to Adam and Eve that from uh, Eve's seed uh, will come and crush the head of the serpent, and that will continue. And so he keeps promising to his people that he's going to save them. Now, in what way is he going to save them? So that is um, shows that there's a rise in conflict there, and you can see uh, just before verse 18, we see a whole genealogy that summarizes a story being played out. This shows that Jesus comes from the line of David, uh, the king who was promised a Messiah. And then before David was, uh, was promised a Messiah was Abraham, who was promised a seed and who would fulfill his covenant. And so you see in this, in this constant line, there is a plan of redemption being taken place that he is summarizing here. So our passage is about a mini climax in the middle of a great story of how God wants to redeem his people. So the first part of verse 18 says this, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. So this verse, uh, we may skip over a little bit, uh, if we're just reading on our own casually. Uh, I know I would <laughs> if I wasn't really paying attention to it because it seems like it's just an introductory line there. But this verse reveals some important truths for us to consider. There is a real emphasis placed on the incarnation of Jesus and the virgin birth here. Uh, this is not a light topic, but it's a topic, the incarnation and the virgin birth, that separates uh, people from orthodoxy, from heterodoxy, uh, from sheep and goats, from believer and unbeliever. It's something that's not taken lightly in the scriptures. It's something that Matthew is particularly making clear in this area. And so when it's made clear, you mean you know that it's meant to be important. Uh, and so when 
How can I stand here and say this, that it's something that separates people? Well, what does the, about the incarnation and virgin birth is so important that we need to divide over? Why is this something that is so emphasized ever since the early church? I'm sure many of you have friends and family who may disagree with this doctrine and others in the Apostles' Creed. There's a reason why it's confessed in here is because it has been divided over and many do still today. And it motivates me to talk to them about true Christianity because of my love for them. Because I love them, I want them to know what is truly taught within the scriptures. Uh, I promise I will show why this doctrine matters enough to divide over. Um, that's a lot, that's a big topic, but I want us to understand that this is an important topic to think about. So what we confess in the Apostles' Creed is important for our sake of knowing who God is and what he has done for us. And so that's what we're going to explore here. How does this line uh, show what God, who God is and what he has done for us? And so uh, last week, Luke talked about the line, Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, to show who uh, Jesus is. We confess this line in the creed for a very specific reason, because we need to know who Jesus is. So we talked about who he is. Now we will talk about what he has come to do. And so this is what Matthew wants to reveal to his audience and ourselves in this passage. God has always had the same plan to redeem his people. We talked about this before. Uh, but it's why he sent his son to be here on this earth. He sent this son because he wanted to fulfill that plan of redemption. So Matthew here writes, uh, When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. So we talked about... He's like, this is a, uh, something to emphasize the birth of our Christ, the birth of Jesus. And then now he's describing what is being taking place. So this act of the incarnation and the virgin birth are great mysteries. Now, what do I mean by mystery? How can a virgin be pregnant? How can a child be from the Holy Spirit? How can a child be from God himself? So when I say these things, they are great mysteries. And what I mean by that is that we can't know anything about how they were done beyond what God reveals to us in his word. It's nothing that I can do to show that, okay, this is exactly how it works in the biological process for uh, just a virgin to have give birth to someone. Uh, that's not how this works in this, in this world. But we know that God is beyond that. We know that he is supernatural, as we describe him, to go beyond what nature deems as normal, to be able to fulfill his purposes. So when I say, uh, despite, uh, despite not knowing how these things are done, it doesn't mean that any of these things are not true. Uh, a true creator is one who is above the laws of nature. Uh, since he created nature, he certainly has to be, have power over nature and not bound to it. Uh, he can even bend nature to do his will. 
And so we see this within his great miracles that even he did here through Jesus on earth, that Jesus performed miracles that were beyond what nature is norm, uh, deemed as normal to show that he truly is God. He truly is the creator. Um, and so this is a, a miracles are such a great way to show this is who our God is. They're signs to point towards who he is. Uh, and so the virgin birth and the incarnation show that as well. But, yeah, so when we, when we think about just the, uh, how, the Holy, um, how the Holy Spirit con uh, conceived of Jesus and how the virgin birth took place, just look at how powerful God is and look how God uses his power for our sake. By sending his Son into this world through the power of the Holy Spirit, his grace isn't shown to us through that. And that when he brought in his Son, he did it specifically for us. He bent nature for us. But we shouldn't uh, dwell on the question of how the incarnation and the virgin birth took place or happened. It's okay to ponder for a little for the sake of praising God for his power to do so, but it shouldn't be our main focus uh, when reflecting on these miracles. Uh, many men have rejected the plain teaching of Scripture because of their disbelief that God has enough power to go beyond the limits of nature. They often uh, have a weak God. And so with that, since they have a weak God, they know that uh, they, that their God can't go beyond what nature has said is possible. And so therefore, they're going to reject that and therefore reject what God has done for them. Uh, but our God is not weak. Our God that we worship is not weak. He actually did this. He actually did it. And so we can praise him and worship him greatly for being a strong God, a powerful God, one that can bend nature, that can do this. So, in uh, something that I also looked at, in, in Luke's account of the virgin birth in verse uh, 37, the angel said to Mary, for nothing will be impossible with God. That's a, that's a great testament to uh to the angel saying to Mary that this, it, what will happen to you uh, by giving birth to Jesus, it is, it is possible with God. Because he's the one that creates. He's the one who has control over everything. And so that's something to, to praise him for, his power. But the main questions of, of the virgin birth and the incarnation should not be how God brought Jesus into this world, but why? Let's first think about why the Virgin Mary, why did Christ need to come into this world uh, through the virgin birth? Well, he came through this world through the virgin because he could not inherit the sin of man. Uh, it's not just what God's, uh, it's not just that God's perfection uh, made it impossible for him to be corrupted by sin, uh, but also Christ couldn't inherit sin. So he couldn't be the perfect sacrifice and take our sin for us. He needed to be without sin, and he couldn't inherit it, and he couldn't be with it. And so he couldn't 
have that sin. He could not be born from man, but he needed to be born of Mary to be human. Uh, so not just that he could walk on earth and perform many miracles, but he could also redeem our whole selves. Uh, it's not that Mary was without sin, like some believe, based on tradition alone. Mary certainly had sin, uh, but Christ is the fruit of her womb, as Luke 1.42 says. That Christ is uh, Christ. Uh, needed the body of man, but needed the sinlessness of God. He needed to be fully God and fully man, but he couldn't take on the sin of man uh, by being of Joseph. So I know this is uh, weird to think about, but if, you've, if he was only half human, uh, then he could only be the sacrifice for half of a human. <laughs> That's kind of weird to think about. We never really think about that because it seems impossible. It's illogical. And exactly, it is illogical. Christ needed to be fully human in order to save all of yourself, not just part of yourself. Uh, uh, And he's not just fully man, but fully God. Notice that we confess that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. What what this does not mean is that the Spirit is Christ's Father. Uh, It does mean that it is the power of God to form Christ in Mary's womb and bring him into this world. It's the power of the Holy Spirit that is bringing Christ through uh, Mary's womb. Not that the Holy Spirit is Christ's father. He didn't uh, bring, uh, he didn't conceive, or he didn't uh, bring Christ through the womb and just like sort of like a man would but his power was bringing it through. That's weird to think about as well, right? (laughs) But the great um, Baptist preacher Charles Spurgeon said while preaching on this passage, uh, see how the Holy Ghost cooperates in the work of our redemption by preparing the body of our Lord. The Holy Spirit was involved in this. The Holy Spirit, you could say God, was actively involved in bringing Christ into this world that he brought him in and wanted him here so that he could save us. But this is a great thing to see how God is actively working out our salvation, even in this time, that he was bringing out, uh, uh, bringing Jesus into this world for a very specific purpose. Uh, And so we'll see this in just a moment, how he has done so. Uh, He is true to say that all of this is being done for our redemption. I know many who will say, like myself a time ago, that what is in the creeds is is dead doctrine with no application to our daily lives. Uh, We don't need those. Those were in the past. Uh, Those things that people confessed a long time ago, we don't need this. We're in a modern church today. We don't need this doctrine because it's, it's not giving anyone life. It's just bogging them down with rules and bogging them down with what they should believe and all that stuff. Just let them have their Bible and let them do their own theology. Uh, I have to bluntly say that this is wrong. (laughs) Uh, What we confess here is applicable specifically because it deals with our salvation. What is being described here in Matthew is dealing with our salvation. 
it's a it's all about our salvation it's about what christ is being is doing in this world by coming in to be perfectly god perfectly man so that he could save us perfectly if you could uh, do you believe what is taught in this creed what is taught here in the apostles creed that we are that christ was conceived by the holy spirit and born of the virgin mary I do see how, do you see how getting the incarnation and virgin birth is, is right? See how getting these doctrines right is necessary for our salvation. This is the work of God. It should lead us to greater worship for what he has done for us. When we confess these creeds, that should lead to our greater worship because we can see how, is being, uh, how it is related to our salvation. Now, uh, we'll give a careful attention to Joseph, a righteous man, according to the passage. He had a strong sense of morality and knew what he needed to do if it's true that Mary was pregnant out of wedlock. Uh, remember that before the Spirit speaks of jo to Joseph in the dream, he only sees an appearance of sin, an appearance of evil. Yet based on his reaction to this appearance of evil, uh, we see that Joseph's sense of morality does not overrule his grace. So when, when he gets news that Mary has become pregnant with a son, uh, he doesn't know many details until the Spirit tells him. And of course, when someone is pregnant out of wedlock, what do you do in ancient Israel? Well, you divorce them. They become adulterers, right? And so that would lead naturally to a divorce. He knew the law. He knew uh, what was right to do. Uh, but yet he did not over, but his sense of morality was not, did not overrule grace. Instead of divorcing her publicly, he was still going to do it. Um, that's what he decided. But instead of divorcing her publicly and subjecting her to humiliation for this act, he decided to do so privately. And by doing this, he was not harsh or cruel in his judgment. Uh, while this is not evil, but only an appearance of evil, many of us have seen actual sinful acts being committed. We've seen them by other friends that have done them. Maybe even a very similar situation has occurred. Uh, but how do you react to them? How do you think about their acts? Do you brush it off as if the sin was just never was committed, uh, like they like they'd never done it before? Uh, you could have caught your best friend stealing from the gas station, uh, but decide not to talk to him about it because it would cause some division. Many many people like to uh, not bring up a sore subject or something that they clearly know is wrong because it might cause division, it might, they might lose that friend. And many people, they often have an excuse that, oh, well, it won't let me uh, bring, it won't let me speak truth into their life later. Well, you're never speaking truth uh, unless you actually do it. <laughs> so this is very important uh, to think about uh, in a reaction to sin. Uh, but there are a variety of excuses that we could use. In these moments but we should follow in Joseph's example by confronting sin no matter how uncomfortable or life-changing it may be there could be a variety of sins that you could see 
in a variety of circumstances that could take place if you confront it, but it's important to, to confront it. Now I have to ask the opposite extreme too. When you see sin, are you cruel in your judgment? If a man is caught in adultery, do you proclaim it to the world how evil he is? And I'm not suggesting we reduce the horrible nature of sin. Sin is horrible, and it is the worst thing in this world. But our reaction to sin should be with both truth and grace. We talked about the truth, and there needs to be truth in there, but also grace as well. None of us are perfect in balancing the, our reaction with truth and grace. Uh, many of you, like me, and like my, many of you, like myself, lean to grace, while others may lean to truth. Uh, reflect on your reaction to sin, and how you think about it, and how you, when you are confronted with a friend, a partner, a spouse, or uh, a coworker that is in sin, and as you're thinking through this. Uh, how are you going to respond to it? Because there, there needs to be a response, but how are you going to do it as well? So reflect on that as well. Now, Joseph was patient with Mary, and he was rewarded uh, with a response uh, to relieve him of all the things that was happening in his world. So in a dream, the Spirit rewarded his patience with a, a message about Mary's child. Now imagine the relief that Joseph must have felt when he no longer had to worry about divorcing Mary. If I was in a situation, I would have had uh, been so relieved that this is a doing of God, and it's like it's not, it's not sin, uh, it's, fi it's fine, it's actually something that is good. Okay, I'm okay now. There's no humiliation. I don't have to wrestle with this. And so imagine... How, how much relief he must have felt with that. But what is more important uh, than Joseph's temporary relief is the message that this baby in Mary is the fulfillment of a promise to David and Abraham before him. So the Spirit says this in, in verse 20. Joseph, son of David. I'm going to stop right there. Uh, why does the Spirit call Joseph by his title, son of David? Wouldn't it be better for him to be called son of Jacob, who, uh, who was actually Joseph, Joseph's father? And probably in, in his time, he was called son of Jacob by many in the local community. But why does the Spirit have a, uh, call him the son of David? Well, the Spirit has a very specific purpose in mind. He wants Joseph to think about the line he comes from. Joseph is a descendant of King David, who was promised by God an everlasting kingdom, house, and throne. That's in 2 Samuel 7. This will ultimately be fulfilled through Jesus, the son of David, whose reign will never end. Joseph knew God placed a baby in Mary's womb to be another son of David and to fulfill what God has already promised to David. Now, after the Spirit calls out to Joseph, son of David, he says, Do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. So whatever fears Joseph may have had, they were silenced by God's command to fear not. 
Isn't it such a relief to be delivered from fear and doubt? In this moment, he sure was. Many of us are plagued by fear. We tremble at the thought of what could happen because we're not in control of life. But God is. God is able to cast our fears aside because he is the only one with sovereignty over everything. So even in this moment, God uh, said, fear not, because he had a plan with this child. He knew exactly who this child was and what this child would do. And he wanted to tell Joseph, fear not, because there is a plan in mind. So this command to Joseph to fear not is a great reminder to us to not fear because whatever God else God has to say to Joseph, he shouldn't fear because God's sovereignty will cover over everything in the future. Everything that will happen with Jesus and beyond will be covered by God. God knows what will happen. God has control over this situation. Joseph feared to be associated with an appearance of evil. He feared to take Mary as his wife. But he no longer had to fear, because this situation was far better than he could ever imagine. The Puritan theologian Matthew Henry perfectly wrote, based on this part, uh, that what is conceived in Mary is of divine origin. Joseph, so far from being in danger of sharing an impurity by marrying her, that he will there, thereby share in the highest dignity he is capable of. So what an honor it is for this earthly father to be the father of his own savior and the savior of all of God's people. That's something that is, is wonderful to think about how what Joseph thought was the worst thing to ever happen to him, assumingly there was nothing else worse to happen at that moment. Uh, <laughs> so to think about how that could be the worst thing that could ever happen to him was actually flip-flopped into being the greatest thing that could have ever happened. He is the father of his own savior, and that this is a high honor to him. So Joseph is honored by this, and his child will be named Jesus. Now let's talk a little bit about Jesus' name here. There are a few things that make Jesus' name significant. Although it is not nearly as common in America, many parents like to give their children names that mean something. Now, not that it's wrong to, but my mom named me Landon simply because she likes how it sounds. And it was rare at the time. Uh, but there are others, like I know, uh, I know a couple of Lukes. They were named Luke because their mom and dad liked Star Wars. <laughs> so uh, I know a, a few others that were named, oh, I can't remember any now. But you get the point, right? That people are named because they like something in America or because it sounds good. That's very common here. But in this time, in the time of Jesus, names meant something. Every name meant something. Uh, you can uh, go throughout Old Testament history and hear different names and see, okay, what is it trying to say through this language of this meaning, the meaning of this name? Uh, so I'm sure many of you have similar experiences with your own names, uh, but in Jesus' time, yeah, everyone's name meant something. Their parents were very intentional with their offspring names. 
Jesus' name had a great significance, and the Spirit emphasized this in the text when he says, And you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. He is called Jesus because the name means Savior. And a Savior is one who saves another. Uh, and it's why, in that, in that part right after he says, he'll be called Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The Spirit is emphasizing what his name means. And it's very important that he is named Jesus. The name he was given describes his office. His role on earth is ultimately to save his people from their sins. The name Jesus is also significant in another way, and that it's the same name as Joshua, but it's the Greek equivalent of Joshua. You can see this uh, in not your own English Bibles, uh, but the name for Jesus in Acts 7, uh, 45 and Hebrews 4, 6, or 4, 8 is actually written as Joshua, but we translate it as Jesus, because that's who the authors are talking about. Not the Joshua's of the Old Testament, but the, jo but the Joshua, Yeshua was pronounced then, Jesus is uh, who they're describing. So this should draw the original readers and us back to the Old Testament to see what has God done through jo uh, Joshua in the past and how this is foreshadowing Jesus who will do the same in the future. So both Joshua's, there's two. Uh, the first being Israel's captain in the first settlement in Canaan. And the second being the high priest at Israel's second settlement after captivity. That's a lot. <laughs> and often some people even forget who these Joshua's were. Um, but they are types of Christ. So they're pointing forward towards Christ who is greater than they are. Like the first Joshua, Christ will lead us to the promised land. Be, uh, being salvation in our times. And like the second Joshua, Jesus will be our high priest who mediates on our behalf to the Father. Both captain and high priest, but he is also our Savior. Uh, and so in the name of Jesus itself, it reveals salvation to us. The incarnation of the virgin birth is a vessel by which God wants to bring our Savior to save us from our sins. This is the way that he wants to do it. And he's showing uh, in this passage that Jesus is our Savior. His name literally means Savior. That is his office. That is what he has come to do. So when we think about the salvation that Christ is said to bring, it can't be like the temporary salvation that the people of the Old Testament experienced. Many of them experienced deliverances. If you read through the Psalms, they talk about deliverance, but often from their own temporary circumstances uh, that are happening. It could be David is feeling overwhelmed by the uh, armies of Saul, and so he wants to be delivered from this temporary circumstance. Uh, but there's many different kinds of deliverances uh, that are being happened. That, the, that they're experiencing. So let's pay a close attention to how the Spirit describes what Jesus has come to do, an eternal deliverance for us. For he shall save his people from their sins. Jesus has come to earth not to provide the option of all people of this earth, 
or no, the option of salvation to all people on this earth, but to save a particular people. You can read this in the language, for he shall save his people from their sins. In this verse, the Spirit talks about the, uh, those who are possessed by Christ. Uh, this doesn't, doesn't this match what is said elsewhere by God? Let's look at John uh, 10, 11, which says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. In verse eight, uh, 14, it says, Just as the Father knows me, I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And Ephesians 5.25 says, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So this shows the, that Christ's salvation is for a particular people. It's not for everyone in this world broadly, but for a particular people, those who Christ has, got, has, it's his, that he is saved for. So Christ gave himself up for this church, and he sought out his people and, brought, and bought salvation for them. If you believed in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross for your sins, you are counted as Christ's people. So you have been given deliverance, not just temporary, but eternal. So even before this great act of Christ dying and resurrecting, God's goal with Christ's birth was his death and resurrection. So from his death, what does he save us from? I believe uh, the Reformed Anglican pastor uh, J.C. Ryle summarizes this well when he writes, and this is long, so forgive me, but I think it's so good that we need to mention it. He, say, uh, he says this, He saves them from the guilt of sin by washing them in his own atoning blood. He saves them from the dominion of sin by putting their hearts in the sanctifying spirit. He saves them from the presence of sin, which he when he takes them out from this world to rest in him. He will save them from all the consequences of sin, when he shall give them a glorious body at the last day. Blessed and holy are Christ's people. From sorrow, cross, and conflict, they are not saved, but they are saved from sin forevermore. They are cleansed from guilt by Christ's body, blood. They are made Meet, uh, meet for heaven by Christ's Spirit. This is salvation. He who cleaves to sin is not yet saved. This is a beautiful picture of what we just described, right? How the salvation, what, it does, what does Christ save us from? And I like what it, it says here with, um, from sorrow, cross, and conflict, they are not saved, but saved from sin forevermore. There may be times when uh, we ask for a temporary deliverance, and that's good to ask for. But praise God that he has already given us eternal. Uh, he has already given us a eternal salvation. So when you confess that Christ was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary, think of the purpose that God had uh, for Christ ever since Christ was woven together in Mary's womb. This miracle was performed on, on behalf of you. 
Matthew writes says it is a miracle that was prophesied hundreds of years before. Uh, once he has described what will happen with Jesus' birth, uh, he quotes Isaiah uh, 7.14, which reads, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and, and shall call his name Emmanuel. See that the salvation promised to you was planned out in advance. Uh, way far in advance through even uh, Isaiah's prophecy. Uh, he was given a second, um, sorry, uh, see that the Jesus' first name described uh, his office as Savior, and now he was given a second name, Emmanuel, to describe his nature, God with us. These are perfect names that Jesus has been given. God has come down to earth to be with us. That is his purpose for coming. Again, Matthew Henry perfectly says, uh, the people of, of the Jews had God with them in types and shadows, dwelling between the cherubim, which is the Ark of the Covenant, and so, but never so as when the Word was made flesh. That Christ, uh, that God was present, he was with the people of Israel. You see them proclaim within the Psalms, within uh, the rest of the Old Testament, that God is with them and he will never leave them. But they never quite experienced the, um, the nearness of God as when Jesus first came in this world to be with us, incarnate in this world, walking among us. So ever since, the, ever since the fall of Adam and Eve, God has never been closer to man than he came to be a baby. So this should provide you with comfort and joy, knowing that our great God, the Lord of lords, the King of kings, and the creator of everything in and outside the universe, wanted to be close to us despite our rebellion against him. So much so that he was willing to go on the cross to die and resurrect so that we could be with him forevermore. I can't say this better than Jesus did. He said in John 15, 13, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. See the closeness that Jesus has to his people. So we'll conclude right now with, uh, with reading how Joseph reacts to hearing how God wants to save the world. Matthew writes, when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Joseph believed, that the, believed the Spirit and did all that was commanded of him. And when the Spirit gave Joseph the message that his son would save his people from their sins, what more could he do than trust God and do all his commands? Despite his previous feelings about the situation, he took Mary as his wife without delay. Dreams like these no longer happen. I don't just get a, a dream from God and he gives me a revelation. Oh, my wife is having a baby and it's going to be Jesus and all that. <laughs> he, doesn't do, he doesn't do this anymore. But uh, God always has ways to make his mind known 
by either hints of his providence uh, throughout this world, advice from good friends, and the, what the word says is good and evil. See, when people ask, what, what is the will of God for my life? Well, you can look at it straight in the scriptures and see exactly what God requires of you, what he wants from you. It's not going to be clear cut. It's not going to be a letter from God that says, this is what uh, you are to do with your life. You are to get this job and have this family and live in this place. He's not going to do that. But he has commanded, here's how you live. Here's how you uh, believe in me and trust in me and all will be well. And so this is what, what Joseph has done. So when God's providence is made known to you, follow his, his lead without delay and cheerfully. I know it isn't easy. I have failed in this many times. <laughs> but it is good to know that whatever God has in store for the future, it is good for those who believe in him. You hear that in Romans 8, how all those who believe in him, God does good for. It may not be uh, what your good is, what you think is going to be good, but it's good. he knows that it's going to be for the good of those who believe in him. So you can always trust that whatever happens is going to be good. So And so Mount Joseph did not know Mary until God's son was born. I hate to get off track on this, but I should say that the language used means that Mary was not a perpetual virgin, uh, like some claim she was. Uh, some, being Roman Catholics and Eastern Orthodox, maybe some out, out in the far reachers as well, may claim that. But, it's, uh, but this text clearly shows that she wasn't a perpetual virgin, that it was uh, Joseph who knew her not until she had given birth to a son. He knew her after she gave birth to a son. So it's important to get this right to understand who Mary is, who she truly is. That, and it also shows something very important by knowing that, that she was a normal woman who was given a great honor by carrying her Savior in her womb. Our God loves to use normal people. He loves to use you, 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 you. He loves to use all normal people to carry out his purposes. He doesn't create some superhuman uh, or someone that, is without sin to be able to uh, carry someone without sin. But he uses normal people to do this. And so that's a great comfort to know that our Lord will use us. So she gave birth to Jesus, and therefore God could be with us, die for us, and be raised for us. So when you confess that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and born of the Virgin Mary, think on what God has done, Gun, think about what God has done to be with you. So let's go ahead and go to the Lord again with prayer. Lord God, we, we thank you so much for this word and what you have done to be with us. Your great names, Jesus and Emmanuel, Jesus being Savior, Emmanuel being God with us, show your office, your nature, and what you have done for us to be with us, to be close to us here on this earth, but then also to die for us so that we could be with you forever. Help us to believe this, to trust in you for our salvation, to trust what you have required of us. 
and we thank you evermore for it. In your name, amen.